It's all here from the gush of Merban to the first signs of the distributed cheddar. It's a block of Bourse news in the shape of Exchange Invest Weekly with me, Patrick L. Young. Hello and welcome to another Exchange Invest Weekly. My name is Patrick L. Young, the publisher of Exchange Invest, the daily newsletter of the board's business. Reviewing this week's events, well, by the end of the week, we saw incredible numbers from Charles Schwab. 31% boost to new trading accounts they reported after fees go to zero. I strongly expect the number of class action suits against zero-fee brokers to go up by a vastly larger percentage than 31% when the stock market next has a bear phase. However, that wasn't the biggest news of the week. The biggest news of the week was undoubtedly the exciting events in the Emirates, in the Emirate of Abu Dhabi to be precise. The Intercontinental Exchange, as we had previously hinted at in various editions of Exchange Invest Daily and also several podcasts. Intercontinental Exchange are launching a new exchange in Abu Dhabi, ICE Futures Abu Dhabi, IFAD. It's going to be located in the Abu Dhabi global market. That's the small but perfectly formed island, which is the unique English language-based financial centre within the Emirate. Most significantly, they're going to be hosting the world's first Merban crude futures contracts. Fascinating altogether, on November the 4th, the Abu Dhabi Supreme Petroleum Council announced that it would implement a new pricing mechanism for ADNOC, that's Abu Dhabi National Oil Corporation's Merban crude. As a result, Merban is moving. The pricing is changing from a retroactive official selling price to a market-driven forward pricing using the Merban futures contract as its price marker. ADNOC is therefore going to also remove destination restrictions on Merban crude sales, making it effectively a potentially global benchmark. Thus, with the support of ADNOC, the Merban Futures contract referenced by the Supreme Petroleum Council, the SBC, is going to be hosted on the new exchange ICE Futures Abu Dhabi. Exciting news all round. This is great news for the broader benchmark business, as I think I may have mentioned in the past. Merban is another effectively light sweet crude. It's something remarkably similar to the two global benchmarks of the moment, West Texas Intermediate and Brent Crude. And of course, as we know, Brent Crude has become the poster child of oil trading the world over in admittedly a market which has also fragmented in a world with many other thicker crude oils also being traded on new platforms such as, for example, Spymex and St. Petersburg. At the same time, Fitting Merban in as a potential third global benchmark is really, really exciting news. It's going to be traded under English common law in the ADGM Financial Centre. And well, it had an incredible number of very, very excited parties at the Abu Dhabi Oil Conference this week, gushing, for want of a better word, about its prospects. Look at Bob Dudley, the outgoing chief executive of none other than BP, that global major. We are witnessing in the oil and gas industry a piece of history. Merban has the characteristics to be a great new crude benchmark. Exciting news altogether, ladies and gentlemen, and a fascinating one for the energy business. Other exciting news in the energy business was this week's takeover deal of the week. The EEX Group, that's the Energy 
subsidiary of Deutsche Börse, which is, of course, most famous for having started as an electricity exchange within Europe. It also, of course, a while back bought the Noodle Exchange in the USA. Now they've bought another fascinating strategic asset in the USA, the Nasdaq Futures Exchange. That's the commodity futures business that was built up initially by the likes of Hans-Oli Jochumsen and various other parties within the Nasdaq management. No terms were disclosed for this logical win-win transaction. EEX is adding to its nodal assets and can push its new wave in electricity through other energy products across the Atlantic. That totally makes sense for DB1. At the same time, NASDAQ are selling something which had achieved much, but ultimately allows a deeper concentration on their big data and AI approaches under CEO Adina Friedman. NFX went from an empty husk to a successful market, while at the same time, Adina is clearly reflecting the change in, how might one put it, datitudes, I suppose, which is apparent less than five years later. For DB1, Peter Wrights is again the most dynamic manager in the team forging a business which remains a long way behind the CME ice duopoly, but is nonetheless an impressive expansion of the niche electricity market EEX once was when Peter took it over. In other words, this is a win-win for the parish, ladies and gentlemen, unless you missed it, the clearest signal yet. NASDAQ is on a big data AI mission. Speaking of big data, Intercontinental Exchange rationalised the way that they're looking at helping process the vast myriads of bits and bytes that they take in and push out every day. They've set up an Indian operation in Hyderabad. The headquarters opened this week. We saw 500 staffers being employed by Intercontinental Exchange in order to fulfill their big data requirements. Elsewhere, NICE Chicago has lowered fees and eliminated rebates. And indeed, there was an interesting story from the Delaware Stock Exchange. You may remember the Wilmington Stock Exchange has to repay a $3 million government loan next year from the local council. Hmm. If it doesn't work out, which is a bit of a challenge at the moment, it seems, with the way that the Delaware Board of Trade is working, Newcastle County residents will become partial owners of, wait for it, a cash-poor Chinese-American tech company founded a decade ago by a professional wrestler. Well, there's something to discuss over the Christmas party season, if nothing else, ladies and gentlemen. Over in CCP land, Brexit. The $78 trillion derivative spat needs a fix now, the banks say. Trade organisations arguing quite sensibly that the EU's behaviour with regard to clearinghouse equivalents remains an utter disgrace. There is no reason why the London clearinghouses do not achieve totally the high standards that the EU expects and more. Let's face it, most of those high standards were set by the UK clearinghouses in the first place. The fact that the European Union is dragging its feet on clearinghouse equivalents with the UK when it allows all manner of clearinghouses around the world which are much, much smaller than the likes of the London Clearinghouse or indeed Ice Futures Europe in London, etc., is simply a travesty. The sooner the European Union gets its act together, the better, because in the short to medium term, this just looks like pathetic protectionism and once again demonstrates the European Union's imperial mindset, which is much more suited and rooted in the analogue era, and indeed the worst of the analogue era of Belgian history. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly. We welcome your feedback. You can contact me directly, patrick at derivativesvision.com with any comments. Meanwhile, if you enjoyed this show, we would welcome you giving us a thumbs up. Or if you have time, a positive review will always be welcome wherever you find this podcast. Good to see some advocacy for free markets during the course of the week. 
New York Stock Exchange's chief, their president, Stacey Cunningham, wrote an excellent article in Bloomberg, an opinion piece saying that the lack of IPOs threatened capitalism. To quote, The US was built on the premise of being the land of opportunity. Capitalism was adopted and supported because it was a story of shared success. Founders and business leaders could leverage capital markets to grow. Now, public investors increasingly play a role only in the company's second act, when the greatest growth prospects have come and gone. This threatens to redefine the fabric of our nation. It should not surprise us if support for capitalism wanes when growth and opportunity are available only to a select few. Another consequence of staying private longer is the development of bad habits within companies that lack the discipline and transparency our public markets require. Founders can gain outsized influence that may lead to questionable governance structures. Dual-class voting structures become more relevant to founders as their ownership stakes are diluted through multiple private funding rounds. Capital markets are one of the pillars on which our nation stands, adds Stacey Cunningham. They have long been the envy of the world, but we cannot take that status for granted. We all must play our part in assuring that they provide access to the very best opportunities for all, regardless of their wealth or status. An excellent opinion piece by NICE President Stacey Cunningham, which I'm sure is a message shared by everyone within the Bourse Parish. One other message which ought to be shared by everybody in the Bourse Parish was the message of innovation. Very sapient analysis this week from James Falk, the head of strategy at the Hong Kong exchanges. He noted that to stay on top, Hong Kong exchange must diversify and innovate in search of more successes like the Tracker Fund. This was, of course, on the 20th anniversary of the Hong Kong Tracker Fund, the first ETF in the region pioneered by the Hong Kong exchanges. And indeed, moreover, Hong Kong Futures Exchange, as an example, was the pioneer in the rebirth of single stock futures. There is much work to be done in the business of Bourse Innovation, but it's all in the name of exploiting opportunities around the world, and of course, in the case of James Falk and Hong Kong Exchanges, within the dynamic global Hong Kong Financial Centre. The Cumex story continues to rumble on. Excellent article in Stuff NZ this week. Could a Kiwi have cost Germany billions without anyone intending to commit a crime, it asked? Meanwhile, the conversation in Australia mentioned the robbery of the century, the Cumex trading scandal and why it matters. Make no mistakes, ladies and gentlemen, this one's going to run and run. And indeed, Bloomberg Tax ran an article with Macquarie apologises for its role in the Cumex scandal. Meanwhile, one question being asked this week by Neil Crammond, options and futures trader, extraordinary life exchange pioneer and a keen observer of market structure. Why are the exchanges also not being fined, given some remarkably eye-watering recent market manipulation punishments? There's only one daily news source for the business of bourses, Exchange Invest, the exchange of information. Exchange Invest publishes the daily digest of everything in the market structure industry around the world in a user-friendly email briefing format from Monday to Friday. With additional pith by former Exchange CEO and long-standing fintech pioneer Patrick L. Young, yes, that's me, Exchange Invest is the unique one-stop shop for the daily news in markets, market operators and related functions. Exchange Invest is available to subscribers at $200 per user per year or currency equivalent. You can get more details at exchangeinvest.com or email me, patrick at derivativesvision.com. 
Over in People News this week, Benoit Couré has been appointed to head the BIS Innovation Hub Initiative. It's a logical blob appointment, given that Mr. BC himself headed the G7 Working Group on Stablecoins, etc., and has been on the ECB Executive Board since 2012. Meanwhile, one resignation from the board of the CME Group, Alex Pollock, is resigning to accept a senior treasury position. He's going to become the principal deputy director of the Office of Financial Research. Over in Argentina, swap around for the presidency of the Rosario Board of Trade. In a simultaneous move alongside the change in the national administration, the RBOT is replacing Alberta Padoan, who was deemed close to the outgoing government, and proposing as his successor the more politically neutral Daniel Nassini. He's due to take office later this year. DLT Malta is the book of the blockchain island consisting of thoughts from leading local advocates and practitioners of the crypto economy, led by the Prime Minister, the Honourable Joseph Muscat MP. DLT Malta is edited by myself, Patrick L. Young, and Joseph Anthony DeBono. The book can be obtained from all leading bookstores worldwide. If you want to understand Bitcoin, blockchain, cryptocurrency, and the broader impact of the distributed ledger, this book is packed with insights and information about the potential for the technology. DLT Malta, Thoughts from the Blockchain Island, is published by DV Books on behalf of the industry association Blockchain Malta, in bookstores now. In regulation news this week, SEBI are mulling lowering the cost of derivatives trading. The FASB issued some guidance to help with LIBOR transition. In technology, the Moscow Exchange is looking to install speed bumps to smooth out FX trading, traditionally a very, very strong pillar of the Moscow Exchange business. And Amazon has launched AWS Data Exchange, a possibility where you can go and buy from all your favourite sources whatever data your heart desire. India's NSE closed out the week by launching an open trading API sandbox. In product news, the Saudi Aramco prospectus was published, causing a flurry of news analysis from around the world. A couple of hundred million dollars allegedly will be spent on marketing the IPO itself. In many respects, it's going to be interesting to see what happens come the start on November the 17th. Bloomberg noted the Saudi Aramco IPO prospectus may be 650 pages, but it comes up short. Having said that, whether that's a message on Saudi Aramco itself or just the chronically useless state of prospectuses these days with all those legalese, I'll leave it to you to judge. China is mulling up to a $10 billion investment in the Aramco IPO, we're being told, while equally there were various concerns on CNBC. We had a former CIA chief saying Saudi Arabia is gradually running out of money and needs that IPO to fund reforms, while the National Review said the Saudi Aramco IPO raises serious geopolitical concerns. Over in Singapore, they're going to be launching low-sulfur fuel oil contracts on the SGX, which is following up on an announcement by APEX Exchange, the relatively upstart exchange in Singapore, which announced the same product just a few weeks back. Tradewind, who you may recall are backed by the IEX, the Flash Boys themselves, they've launched a new blockchain app to increase transparency in precious metals markets. Meanwhile, Truex has now become TASAT and has got the nod from the CFTC to launch its BTC swap product. Over in Singapore, the Sandbox Express program has spawned a first blockchain-based bond exchange, Bond E-Value, and the other exciting IPO news, Alibaba, the Chinese tech giant, has got the green light to sell its shares in a secondary follow-on issue in Hong Kong.
CME Group announced January the 13th, let's hope that's not inauspicious, 2020, as the launch date for Bitcoin options, while the Borsa Istanbul, under its new and somewhat controversial CEO, has announced various new instruments to support the Turkish lira in capital markets. Remarkably, in the instant wake of the announcement of IFAD, the ICE Futures Abu Dhabi exchange, which is going to be trading the Murban benchmark in the near future, the Dubai Mercantile Exchange popped up. They posted a 21% rise in trading volume. It's good to know they're alive, albeit trading per month, what, well, other folks can do in the barrel equivalent of a blink of the eye. It's interesting to see what does CME have as its plan to move this market forward given that it's a significant shareholder. Right now they risk an embarrassing egg face repo if, after 12 years of the DME not really achieving a great deal, IFAD Abu Dhabi makes anything of its Murban potential. Meanwhile, the CME is planning to start a Brazilian soybean futures contract in association with the Brazilian B3 exchange. In London, the LME will launch a fast-market settled aluminium contract. Meanwhile, the Ghana Commodity Exchange, in collaboration with ARB Apex Bank, has launched a 50 million local currency electronic warehouse receipt financing program. As the week came to a conclusion, more news from B3. They're going to be adding Nikkei 225 futures in the very near future. And also the CME, they're going to launch a block cheese future. Presumably they're heading towards the distributed cheddar with their block cheese. OCB stand chart, they've closed the first derivatives trade on a benchmark replacing the LIBOR-linked rate in Singapore. And indeed in Ghana, they've introduced the Global Master Repurchase Agreement. An exciting and interesting week in products, ladies and gentlemen. Over in crowdfunding to complete today's bulletin, Cedars, long known for its nominee structure, have finally added something we've been demanding for many, many years, a direct investment option for issuers and investors. In my humble opinion, long the worst facet to Cedars was its nominee structure, delivering a vast counterparty risk to investors. This, it seems, has now given way to an optional ability to invest directly into the company, in other words, what crowdfunding was supposed to be originally about. And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, a fine and upstanding week for oil benchmarks for the parish as a whole. Good news all round in the parish in terms of deals, deal structure and things that are going forward, whether you're DB1, NASDAQ, the CME or elsewhere. As of now, I'm going to head off and enjoy, well, a little bit of that block cheddar, I think. And I'll leave you with our final theme tune. And thanks for listening. My name is Patrick L. Young. Have a great week in markets. This has been the Exchange Invest Weekly. This show relates to the business of bourses. It is not to be construed as investment advice, nor are we making any investment recommendations. Please consult an investment advisor before you make any investments, and for goodness sake, do your due diligence and do not make investments without complying with the regulations in your home state. Exchange Invest cannot be held responsible for any investment decisions made as a result of our programme, which is for entertainment purposes only. The material herein is copyright Patrick L. Young at the date of publication, while our music and sound effects are sourced from copyright-free sources. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly, the exchange of information.